and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Claire Fox. Claire is the Global HR Director and Child Safeguarding Director for Save the Children International, organisation I'm sure you know well. And she's also the author of a book called Work-Life Symbiosis, The Model for Happiness and Balance. So when I uh, heard about that, the fact that she had uh, actually a really interesting backstory career uh, in the corporate sector with Unilever, then is now a senior high flyer in the charity sector and has a book about work-life balance and symbiosis, it kind of really felt like this is someone I have to get on Beyond Busy. Uh, took a couple of attempts with diaries and stuff, uh, as much down to my busy diary as hers at the time. Uh, so we recorded this uh, just late last year at Save the Children International's um, headquarters offices, which is uh, basically just off, off just off Leicester Square in the middle of London there. Uh, so uh, you join me and Claire, we've got a cup of tea, we've got some biscuits and we're ready to go. So let's get straight into it. Here's my interview with Claire Fox. Claire, welcome to Beyond Busy. Thank you. Um, let's start with that. So you've had a busy day? I have, yes. It's always a busy day. Uh, um, what's your day been filled with so far? So we've got um, a new Chief People Officer who started on Monday. Uh, so at the moment it's all about getting him up to speed uh, and uh, helping him un- understand our organisation. Um, but yeah, just in and out of lots of meetings, which is uh, it's, uh, tiring and yeah. leaves little time to then get on with uh, everything else that needs to be done after that. Do you ha- are you one of those people who has a lot of days where the meetings are just like back to back and you just open your calendar and there's just like more of them there appeared for you to spend another hour in sort of thing? Yes, I try really hard to not let that happen um, and to keep blocks of time free to actually um, you know, progress the things that need to be progressed that yeah. isn't always what happens in the meetings unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I do have a lot of days where, where I'm in back to Mac meetings and sometimes the time I protect in the end, I realise I have to then give that up to work on something really urgent. Right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so um, we're here at um, the offices of Save the Children International, um, just on the edge of, sort of cusp of Covent Garden, basically, in the middle of London. Uh, we've got our cup of tea and some we have. some broken biscuits that you found. Where are the broken yeah. biscuits from? Uh, it's from, um, and they were available in the office, actually, um, to celebrate the International Day of the Girl. Okay, mm. cool. Um, so I'm, I might well tuck into those as, as yeah, we're, as absolutely. we're talking as well. Um, so I heard you speak a little while ago. Um, there was a conference. It's quite an academic uh, conference, wasn't it? Like um, just all about. Uh, it was actually about work-life balance, but the people who run it do some really interesting stuff around. Um, it's a kind of consortium of universities, and, and they talk about um, how technology influences the way people work, and obviously productivity being a huge theme of that. So I've kind of kept in touch with those guys. Uh, who run that network for a little while and so uh, that conference over the summer you were the keynote speaker uh, talking quite a bit about um, stuff that's in your book uh, which we'll uh, perhaps get on to and uh, I knew about halfway through that I had to be the first person who nabbed you at the end uh, (laughs) and got you to come and be on Beyond Busy because there was quite a lot of stuff that um, I really felt like you were we were kind of thinking along the same lines and there's lots of stuff in there that um, really resonated with me so um so maybe let's start with um, with your book. Um, with most of these, I tend to start the conversation with like the day job and all that. But like, let's start with the book, and we'll come back to the day job probably as we go through. I'd imagine. But um, let's start with your book. And um, for someone who has a, a very big 
global HR director role to suddenly decide, on top of that, I, wanna, I'm, I really have this kind of burning desire to talk about this issue. Um, how did that burning desire come about, first of all? Yeah, sure. So actually the, the concept came about before the idea of it being in a book. Mm. Uh, so I was asked a couple of years ago to speak at a conference uh, called Women First, which is an organisation to help um, develop and progress uh, women in leadership roles in the hospitality um, industry. And I was asked to speak at that and given a really wide brief. So they sort of said, oh, we'd like you to come along. We think, you know, you, you've got some really, you've got a really interesting story. And I was thinking, mm. okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> um, uh, and I think it was um, around a few things. So um, I work part time. I'm, you know, in a reasonably senior role um, with quite big responsibility. I, um, I've got two very young kids, so uh, four and five. Um, I'm married to a woman, which I think you know can add an interesting dimension in terms of some of the experiences I've had, um, both in work and, and in life. Um, and so I was thinking long and hard, okay, well, what can I say that might be of interest to people uh, at this event? And one of the things I identified was over the years, I have repeatedly been asked um, the same question, which is, you seem to, you know, be progressing well in your career, but you're not one of the people who's always staying late in the office. So how, right, do, how do you right. do that? Um, so I thought, okay, well, maybe I've got something to, to say about that. So I really thought about, well, how do I do that? You know, why is that the case? And when I thought about it, actually, I came up with four really clear kind of um, principles, if you like, that I organise my life by. Um, and I thought, well, okay, this, this is something that might be interesting to share. So I spoke at that conference about it. And uh, the session was really popular and, and seemed to be a success. And on the back of that, I was asked to be interviewed for an HR magazine. Uh, and at the interview, I, it was just a, a, a flippant joke, really. I said, oh, I think this, this might make a good book. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and she said to me, well, actually, I agree with you. And as it happens, I know a publisher. <laughs> so <laughs> it literally went from there where she arranged for me to meet, uh, you know, this guy she knows that, who's a publisher. And... Um, and he liked the idea, and, and I wrote the book. Wow, it's just one of those um, moments where uh, a, a sort of fairly flippant joke uh, becomes uh, could become a noose around your neck, or it could become, <laughs> become many things. Yeah, it could have gone right? horribly wrong, like, yeah. <laughs> but it actually worked out um, yeah. Yeah, remarkably well. Um, yeah, and it was, it was really nice because I already had the model, so actually writing the book was really just about bringing that to life. Yeah. And one of the things that the book... And when I spoke to the publisher, you know, initially about it, I was really clear was that I didn't want to do a book that, you know, involved a lot of sort of academic research on the topic. You know, I really wanted it to be about my personal experience and, and trying to bring that to life for people, um, you know, through the, the things I've done and things that have gone well and things that have gone less well, um, you know, to, to give people an insight into actually how it can work and how, you know, in my situation, um, it works and so writing the book actually was was relatively straightforward because I already had um, the model itself yeah. and then the rest of it was bringing you know just about putting down things that I've actually seen and done and heard and experienced um, yeah and before we get into that um, the very beginning of that story you said that uh, other people were sort of observing you as someone who was getting on well in your career but still leaving work on time mm. and that just conjures up so many different uh, you know, sort of strands and emotions and potential judgments and all kinds of things, doesn't it? And so um, when someone said that to you, like, how did that make you feel? Like, were you proud of that? Were you slightly 
sort of anxious that someone had picked you out as someone who was doing the sort of anti-presenteeism thing or like you know how how, how did you sort of take that as a so as it's, a yeah, it's a great question actually um so it was usually people who were um, less experienced than me, perhaps more junior than me in an organisation. Mm. Um, so it was always really in a, in a positive um, light, right. almost, uh, you know, can you help me to um, be in that situation? So um, I certainly didn't, I was never concerned, but I was, I was proud of it and flattered that people wanted to sort of ask for kind of guidance and, yeah. and input, yeah. really. Um, and there is this thing about, you know, the potential judgment that particularly when I've worked in regional or global headquarters where you've got a lot of people on international contracts, perhaps they're there without their family, you know, they tend to spend a lot of time, you know, more, maybe more time in the office than they yeah. might in a different yeah. type of environment. Um, and I think there is that concern about judgment. I don't think I know anybody who... Um, leaves the office earlier than a significant body of other people and doesn't have any anxieties about that at all mm, but my approach okay. has always been and, and you know I've always left the office on time I don't describe it as early because it's not it's on time um, <laughs> even before I had kids because people now think I do it because I have to go and pick up the kids which I do but actually before I had kids I did it as well because I wanted to go to the gym or go to the pub or mm. see my friends or go and watch neighbours what you know whatever yeah. it is yeah. um, I've always felt and I'll talk a bit more about my philosophy but that you know works really important to me and I and I'm very driven in my career and I always want to deliver but um lots of other things in my life are really important as well um, and so you know I've always really made an effort that I make sure I uh, have time and attention for, for all the other things as well um, I've kind of forgotten the question now <laughs> yeah well no I mean so I mean I just think that's an interesting uh, part of I mean that sort of start of the story of, of like you being put forward for this Ask, conference yeah. because of that being a sort of role model thing mm. in a way mm. but also by the same token could you know um, I'm just interested whether there have been other people who you've uh, sensed perhaps have judged you for it anyway. Like, so even though it's been, yes, I'm performing, perhaps someone else is performing, but also staying late and twiddling their thumbs for a couple <laughs> of hours at the end of the day or, yeah. or whatever as well. You know. and in fact, that was where I was going with that. You've reminded me. Thank you. Um, that. I have, I have wondered whether people have made judgments um, and I have felt uncomfortable sometimes about leaving the office when other people hadn't but the decision I took a long time ago was I'm not going to not do something for fear of what might be a consequence yeah, of that. Yeah. I've taken the sort of cross that bridge when I come to it approach so I've said well I'm going to do, do it how I want to do it, manage my work and my life how I want to manage it with the acknowledgement that there may be judgment and there may be neg negative consequences, but if yeah. that does happen, I'll address that at the time and make a decision about what I want to do. So I suppose I'd already made a decision there in that I'm willing to take that risk. Um, but actually what I found is I've, I have very little, I've never actually had someone say to me, you should work longer hours, you should be staying late, why are you leaving? That's actually never happened. Um, now you could say, um, there's the risk that you um, could damage your career um, through either judgment or through take two people just as talented. One does, you know, an extra hour or more a day than me. They're basically spending an extra day a week at work. They're yeah, going to deliver yeah, more. Sure. So even if yeah. you measure outputs and not yeah. inputs, they're actually going to deliver more. But my decision has been, well, so be it. You know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and as I say, I've, I've, maybe I've been fortunate, but I've never felt like there's been really significant um, 
consequences as a result of that from a career point of view. Yeah, and so like in terms of your career, I mean, like you've had um, quite a varied career in terms of different sectors, um, and now you've move, moved over to the charity sector. Mm. What do you think are the differences between the two, particularly around how people view productivity or how people view that presenteeism issue that we were just talking about? Um, you know, it's interesting. So the bulk of my career before coming to Save the Children was um, in Unilever. And um, it's quite a strong focus in Unilever on agile working, flexible working, yeah. on you know, measuring outputs and not inputs. Um, but there's still some traditional mindsets, as there are in any organisation, where some managers find that easier to embrace than others. Uh, and I think that Unilever, as with any other organisation, you know, is on a journey towards um, you know, embracing that even more. And actually, I saw some really great practices there. And I mm. felt really enabled to work um, in a flexible and agile way. Coming here to Save the Children, it's, it's in many ways, it's a really different environment. Right. The, the remote working is um, extremely common because we work really globally. Um, you know, I used to go to global meetings in other organisations and you'd see the sort of usual suspects. That suspects, there'd be someone from New York, someone from Singapore, um, you know, from all the kind of major global cities. And, and you go here and save the children and there's people from Afghanistan and Myanmar and, you know, the yeah, world, Burkina yeah. Faso, the world just feels much bigger. Um, and so it's... It, every day, you know, people are on Skype calls all day with people from all, literally all around the world. Um, so that actually enables agile working a little bit in that there's so many people who aren't in the room in the meeting anyway that actually whether you're in um you know senegal or in wimbledon it yeah, doesn't it doesn't yeah. make that much difference um but on the other hand because of the type of work we do particularly when we're responding to emergency um, situations um y you know you can't necessarily clock off at five o'clock because actually you know, people used to laugh and joke, at, you know, in sort of other organisations, oh, well, it's not exactly life and death, it can wait till tomorrow. But actually, some, some things we work on literally are, <laughs> it is, yeah, you know, absolutely. and it can't wait till yeah. tomorrow. Um, yeah. You know, the first week, and we said we'll talk a bit more about the role, but I've been acting up into the Chief People Officer role. And the first um, weekend that I was doing that on the Saturday morning, um, I found out the news that, you know, there'd been a very difficult situation with one of our employees in a country in the other side of the world. And actually that can't wait till Monday and I don't want it to and it shouldn't. And, mm. you know, we're talking about real people in real life situations. Yeah. Um, and so that's the acting up role and your full job title is Global HR and Child Safeguarding Director. Yes, as well, right? that's, so, my, that's my kind of day job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of like some of those emergencies being on call around child safeguarding issues and things like that presumably that's I mean it's just part of the nature of the job is slightly always on slightly always with not necessarily half an eye on it but a quarter of an eye on it or something like that yeah it is very different I mean my role is more strategic than operational so there are other people um, who have roles who are much more operationally needing to always be yeah. available um, but yeah absolutely uh, it's certainly a different context and I do need to be and I fully accept, you know, if you're going to take this sort of job with this sort of responsibility, then, you know, there are situations in which you can't clock off. And that's yeah. what I've signed up for in this Absolutely. job, you know. Yeah. And so um, let's talk about work-life symbiosis. Mm. Then. Uh, so explain the title, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. So the book's called Work-Life Symbiosis, the model for happiness and balance, which is... Uh, 
yeah, a bit of a bold, bold choice. Um, but I really believe in the idea that your work should make your life, the rest of your life better, and mm. the rest of your life should make your work better, <clears throat> so that you've got a positive connection between what you do at work and what you do in the rest of your life. And what I've seen over the years um, is that actually a lot of people don't have that set up, that you have a tough day at work, it's stressful, it's exhausting, you get home, you're tired, you don't have the energy to invest in, you know, maybe family time or you're later than you wanted to be. You know, you don't really feel like sitting and having a good conversation with your partner. Actually, what you feel like doing is slobbing on the couch and watching Netflix because you're tired. Yeah. And you go to bed um, and you get up and you do it all again the next day. And actually, I think, you know, you, you, it's easy to resent the impact that work can have on the rest of your life if, the, if you're finding work stressful and, and draining of energy. Um, and my philosophy is really about the idea that actually I think everybody has the opportunity to set their life up in a positive cycle so that it's a mutually dependent but beneficial relationship between work and life. So the idea being that um, you, um, are, you, you find ways in which to make sure that you're in a job that you enjoy, that you get more energy from it than you put in. So obviously not every day you're going to be able to skip home, you know, humming away happily, <laughs> but that the, you know, the, the majority of the time you come yeah. home from work with more energy than you, than, you know, than you put yeah. in. And that energy you invest then into whatever it is you want to, whether it's going for a run, playing with your kids, you know, going out for a drink with your friends. And that you get energy from doing those things. And so that excess energy you put back into going to work. So you're creating this positive cycle of energy so that one area of your life is, is enhancing the other and, and sort of vice versa. And do you see that in terms of the sort of the, the two things feeding each other and that sort of symbiotic thing? Do you see it as being about uh, self-esteem or is it about like creative energy? Like are there certain things that you would attach to that in terms of how, how they're feeding each other? So I think it's about a lot of different things and I think those things will vary for not only people but perhaps stages in, in people's lives. Mm. So the kind of four pillars that I um, uh, talk about in the book are around, um, so the first one being being true to yourself. So the importance of really understanding what's important in life. Because I think it's very easy to become detached from that. Mm. I think sometimes, you know, the number of times I've heard people say, you know, some, you know, tragic or sad event will happen in somebody's life and, and they'll say, God, it really makes you think about what's important. And it does, it's true, but the, the challenge is, A, thinking about that without there needing to be some tragic event that makes right, you think of it. Course, yeah. um, but B, um, retaining that perspective once you kind of get back into the normal... <coughs> Sorry, cup of tea here. Mm. I'll have some biscuit while you do that. Yeah, go on, have some biscuits. <laughs> Very nice. Um, you know, once you get back onto the normal treadmill of life, how do you retain that perspective about mm. checking into what really matters? And this is the most important thing, because I think you know, it's easy to end up not leading a life, not, not being clear almost in your life what's most important. You know, is it about career? Is it about you know, uh, family? Is it about money? You know, is it about traveling? Is it about giving back to the community? And it's easy to listen to those things and go, oh yeah, all of those are important. But actually, when the chips are down, what's the one thing that's most important? Mm. Um, and that's different for everyone and it's different in, in different stages of life. So then the next bit for me is about being abs what I call absolutely fabulous. So this is how do you be your best self? 
because there's always going to be things about a job you don't like. There's always going to be people that wind you up. Um, but how do you identify the, the things that are within your control that you can flex in order to make sure... Um, you know, that, that you are being the best you can be as often as you can. Yeah. And so some things that you can't control and change. And I think it's about, you know, recognising that and accepting that. And actually, maybe you think, well, in this job, I can't do that. And maybe it's about thinking about a different job. Now, I know not everybody necessarily has the opportunity, you know, or the financial security to just go, oh, I'll just find another job. I totally recognise that. You know, everybody in a, is in a very different situation. But that's the point about this, is it is about understanding the context of your own situation mm. and making choices, you know, within that. And if it is that you don't like the job, but you don't think you can get another job that, I don't know, pays the same salary, for example, you know, then... How can you reframe that job? How can you find things in it that are energetic, that are positive? Yeah. Or how can yeah. you make other changes in your life so that you so don't, that you don't need... need the salary? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Yeah. Um, then the third bit is about ruthlessly prioritising. So I think that we're all way too busy. You know, it's sort of a, a function of the life that we all lead and technology can be a real enabler for us, but it can also mean that... You know, you're trying to do three things at once all yep. the time. And whether you work two days a week or five days a week, whether you're talking about work or home, we're all trying to do too much. Um, and so actually, it's about making some choices around that. What are the things you can stop? What are the things that you can let go of? What are the things that don't need to be done yet? What are the things that somebody else can do? And how do you manage the consequences of that? You know, in a way where you... I use very worky language here, but, you know, manage stakeholders, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and sort of rather than I'm not saying just drop things that are important, but actually really think about what are the things that are going to help me to align my life towards the things that I want to be true to, the things that are most important to me. Um, and then it's about having crystal clear boundaries, because, you know, if you ask people, you know, how many evenings a week are you happy to work or how many weekends a month or a year are you happy to work people often don't know the answer right yeah so it's about knowing well what boundaries are okay for you and in what circumstances sometimes you need to work late obviously sometimes you know you need to work at weekends but what is okay um how many days a week is it okay to you know do you or do you want to get home in order to see the kids before bed or whatever it is um and actually that takes some thought and the idea of the model is that these things all fit together. So the more you're clear on what's really important to you, the easier it is to prioritise. And the more you are your best self, being absolutely fabulous all the time, the more voice you've got to have some of the conversations you might need to have at work or in other places um, around some of those boundaries or around some of those priority decisions. So the idea is the four elements all work together um, to enable you to kind of create this, this positive energy. And is it about trying to see out of those four, you know, maybe people might have one or two things that are working really well for them and like maybe one or two that they're not thinking about or haven't focused on enough. Like, is it about trying to find the weakness or is it about trying to get all of them to work equally well? I think it's about the holistic piece, but I'm sure some people might be really good at one thing and not so good at another. And therefore, you know, you would you'd focus more time and energy there. Um, but I think it's sort of about the hot, you know, making sure that for each of these four areas, you've thought about how you could do that and what that could mean for you and, and how you can sort of align your life choices behind that. And of course, mm. you know, you say it like that and you make it sound really easy. And of course, it's not easy. It's really difficult. And there's also something about, you know, acceptance. So I work part time. 
and I have accepted that that might impact my career. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I and I'm very ambitious, and I have a high need to achieve, whether that's in work or in, you know, I do a lot of exercise. I ran the London Marathon in April. Um, I play tennis. Um, you know, and, and in all these things, I want to do the best I can possibly do. Um, but in the context of work, I, you know, it's really important to me that I feel like I get to spend enough quality time with the kids. And I do two half days, which means on two days a week, I drop them at school, I pick them up, yeah. spend some time with them as well as at the weekend. Um, so you basically work a four-day week, right? That's your sort of yeah, exactly. I, I did I, thing, although it's over a, a exactly of half over days five well. days. Yeah. yeah, I did used to have Mondays off and work Tuesday to Thursday to yeah. Friday, uh, but now my littlest is at school as well, um, so I've changed that to two half days. Um, and I realised that that might, you know, maybe there'll be implications career-wise, and particularly when you want to go to another organisation, that becomes really difficult. Yeah, but I have yeah. accepted that if there are, there are, and you know, and say la vie, it's still more important to me to do this now and spend this time with my kids. So if there are consequences that come as a result of that, then, you know, I've, I've accepted that and, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, and you were also saying before that, you know, in terms of being true to yourself, so right now that's an important thing because you've got two young kids, but I guess, mm. you know, would you sort of, are you open to the idea that like maybe like a few years down the line if the kids are older, it's like maybe that's where I'd start thinking, go back to five days or differently is that kind of in your thinking as well yeah it is although i have to admit working four days a week is it's brilliant. great yeah. <laughs> i do monday to thursday that's my thing and then have our, our kid on the friday as well so oh, brilliant. i yeah, have the same yeah sort of yeah if i could work part-time for the rest of my career that'd be lovely mm. <laughs> um but yeah in reality pr- probably that won't happen but I, I mean one of the things i find um about this role is um when I've got my work hat on i just want to travel all the time you know right. I've, since i've been here i've had the opportunity to um visit refugee camps in Greece, visit refugee camp in Jordan, uh, visit work that we're doing in remote areas in Africa to support development of children, um, see uh, programs we run in slums in Delhi. I mean, it's absolutely, it's, it's fascinating and it's incredibly insightful. Um, and, you know, as I say, with my work hat on, I'd, I'd like to travel a lot. With my home mm. hat on, I hate being away even for a night. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. Really, I really don't like missing putting the kids to bed and that sort of thing. But, but what I've said to what I've said to my partner is, once the kids leave home, I want to go and work on humanitarian responses. <laughs> like that's what I'd really, you know, that's what I'd really like to do. Yeah. Um, and then I'll be away for months at a time. <laughs> now, yeah, whether what, I really will our, end up doing that. Oh, well, she, yeah, she laughs and says, yeah, I can see that that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, whether that's what I do or not, we'll see. But certainly, um, yeah, it's about a particular point in my life. Yeah. And no doubt that, you know, what, how I want to engage with work over the years will evolve and develop, you know, in the way that anything else in life does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to just talk a little bit more about you and sort of how you came up with those four pillars and stuff. So, so do you feel like that with those four pillars, did you learn the lessons of that the easy way or the hard way? Do you know what I mean? So was some of that out of bitter experience or was it just you got to a point and then looked back and went, oh, I'm doing these certain things because I kind of instinctively know this is what works for me? Ooh, good question. Um, I think I've had various experiences in life that have made me stop and think about what's really important. Mm. And um, I think when that happens a number of times, you know, that's really made me go, okay, well, you know, I've thought about this before, but, you know, why have I not done anything about it so I think perhaps that's been a bit of an accumulative sort of reminder that actually it's hard to stay connected 
with what really matters. Though having said that, I've always been very, very goals driven. So when yeah. I was younger, I, I was a, a slalom canoeist, a whitewater slalom canoeist. That was my kind of main sport. Okay. And, you know, my dream was to win the Olympics. I mean, that was my, I didn't do that, unfortunately, but, um, you know, that was my goal. I did compete for, for Britain as a, as a junior. Wow, cool. um, and I was totally dedicated and committed to it. Yeah. And I think that I, my approach to life is whatever it is I'm doing, I absolutely throw myself into it completely hmm. um, and really focus on that. So I suppose I've always been very goals driven. Um, so maybe it's been just about translating that from a sporting goal, for example, and then perhaps some career goals very early on in my career um, to almost life goals, yeah. you know, and, and sort of just translating that mindset to, OK, well, you know, if I think about the bigger picture here, you know, what does that, you know, what's important to me? Yeah, so there's the goals driven thing. And then you said like moments in your life where you've had to reevaluate. So tell me more about, about those moments. Um, so I suppose when I stopped canoeing, that was a real conscious decision because it had literally been my whole, um, uh, you know, my whole focus for years as a yeah, child. You yeah. know, and, I, and the thought that I wouldn't carry on doing that for the rest of my life had never sort of entered my head. And what and actually, age does juniors go up to? So when, when was this? 18. When you, so you were like 17, 18 and on the cusp of what do I do next with this? Yeah, and, and I carried on for, for a couple of years after that. But it was when I went to university, really, and, uh, you know, sort of doing lots of other things and meeting lots of other mm. people. And I just stopped enjoying the training quite as much. Right. And you can't, I mean, I was training 12 times a week. You can't do that unless you really, You're really want 12 to. 12 times a week? 12 times a week, yes. Wow, okay. Yeah. So you, is that like morning and then evening? Yeah, it was twice a day, every day except yeah. Fridays. Right, yeah. Fridays okay. off, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a combination of running, weight training, and obviously a lot of time okay, canoeing specifically. Right, yeah. So, um, and I think I just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And mm. you can't, you know, you can't commit yourself to something, dedicate that much time and energy to something unless you really, really want to. Right. And I sort of lost that. It was probably the downside of me being quite so all or nothing is that you, you know, if you're like that, you risk burning it out, which I think mm. is probably what happened. Um, but to let go of that was really difficult, even though I sort of didn't, you know, it was. They're not enjoying, accepting that I wasn't enjoying the training anymore was one thing, but giving up the Olympic dream <laughs> was, uh, you know, was, was much more of a challenge. So that was a right. real kind of, I guess, point in my life where, you know, I had to really stop and try and work out how I could, you know, deal with that. And Do you remember feeling like there's a, there's a goal-shaped hole here and I need to find some new goals to, to fill that with and sort of re almost like redefine you and sort of like your identity because your identity was so wrapped up in, yeah, in it sport was. before. Yeah, I did. I'm not sure I conceptualised it quite like that, but what I did was um, threw myself into something completely different. So I joined a samba band. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and if I'm honest, I'm not really very musical at all. <laughs> in fact, I think when I told uh, some of my friends I was in a band, they actually laughed. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, you don't need to sing in tune to uh, play samba. And luckily, it turns out I've got a bit of rhythm. So um, mm. I kind of completely threw myself into something totally different. And we did some, you know, we did some gigs in London. We did a gig um, supporting an event that Joe Brand did. So some, you know, some fun, high profile stuff. Mm. Um, and it was because it was learning a new skill for me um, I had to put a lot of time and energy into it so I kind of did just throw myself into something completely different and I think that helped I guess um, transition away but I think the bit around um, goal-shaped hole actually has taken me quite a long time to really reconcile because I remember when we lived in Rotterdam which was at the um, it was around sort of 2006, seven, eight time uh, I think we moved back in 2010 I remember at that point actually thinking, 
I wonder if I took up canoeing again. I wonder if I could get on the Dutch team. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was still grappling at that point, I think, with, uh, you know, if I really managed to let go of this dream from all those years ago. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's the case in life, isn't it, with a lot of things. You know, it's, it, none mm. of this stuff is simple. Um, so in terms of goals and goal setting, I mean, are you like a... Are you a news resolution person? Are you a sit down once a month person? Like, how do you like when when is the space that you create around goals? Like, presumably, it's feels like it's more to you than just like being on a train and going. Oh, I quite fancy doing that. Like, <laughs> feels like there's some more focus to it than that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when I put the model together for the book, obviously that made me really, really think about yeah, it. And the conclusion yeah. that I drew then was actually. Yes, I want to give back in life. Yes, I want to have a successful career. Yes, I want to be fit and healthy. Blah blah blah. But actually, you know, I shouldn't be flipping. I shouldn't say blah 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 because those things are important. But actually, what I really nailed was the most important thing for me above anything else is being happy and my family being happy. Mm. Because actually, if you're not happy within yourself, I think that you know it's really hard to a make anyone else happy or B, really sort of embrace life. Because I believe, I know not everyone does, but I believe you only live once. And actually, um, you know, feeling happy, laughing lots, you know, those things actually enable you to um, do all the other things you want to do. Because that, you know, that positive mindset, that positive energy makes so much difference. So I really landed on saying, actually, I want um, uh, sustainable happiness was what I, what I identified for myself and my family. So mm. that actually we set our lives up in a way that means, um, you know, that we're, leading, that we're leading happy lives. And then if you think about that, you think, okay, well, what will lead to that? Yeah, okay. You know, is it that, is it that so take a, you know, um, high-paying, high-profile job, for example. That might lead to that for some people either because they want, you know, they want that success, they want to achieve that, they want the money that comes with that, you know, that, that might be what will enable that. But for someone else who, you know, doesn't want the stress, maybe doesn't want the travel, doesn't want the, you know, sort of relentless workload that comes with that, wouldn't be what would lead to that at all. So then it's the bit around thinking, okay, what would lead to that? And for me, then there's lots of other smaller goal settings. So for example, I, um, I ran the London Marathon, as I said, for the first time this year. And um, I had two goals. I wanted to run it under four hours and I wanted to like soak up the atmosphere of London. Right, okay. What I've realised is... Slightly conflicting goals. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you see, I, you, would, you wouldn't have missed a trick. I missed a trick there. Um, because what I've realised is you can't have those two goals in the same yeah. race. So I ran it in four hours 11. That's really good though. Yeah, but it's not under four. <laughs> um, and I, I, I mean, I did enjoy it to a point, but um, pretty much most of it was torturous. Um, and actually a friend of mine ran it as well. And she ran it at a pace that was well within herself. And she, I just couldn't relate to her description of it at all. She said, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. And I just couldn't relate to that. So what I realised was you can't do those two things in, in the same race. So because I'm so stubborn, um, I'm now having to do two more marathons. Right, yeah. <laughs> One to try and run it seriously in under four hours. And then two weeks later, I'm going to... So I'm doing the Rotterdam Marathon. Because we used to live there. It's very flat, so good for fast yeah, time. Yeah, that's good for fast time. Exactly. Well. Although windy... Well, I hope not. I hope it's not windy. If it is, I hope it's behind me and not, you know. (laughs) Uh, And it's on my birthday as well. So I thought, oh, it's like a sign. So uh, so I'm going to run the the Rotterdam Marathon. Two weeks later, I'm going to run London. 
Um, so. But just for the fun of it, and I'm deliberately doing it two weeks later to kind of force myself into not ending up trying for the time. I'm going to do it in fancy dress, you know, five hours, five and a half hours, whatever, high-fiving yeah. all the kids on the way yeah. past, trying to get on TV, you know, just the kind of real fun side of it. So I've kind of decoupled that. And London is like, so I'm running Brighton next year, and I did London in 2013, and mm. London is so... It is so the the one to run and soak up the atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's like, I remember there was like two. There's like two points where there's no one cheering at you, and, that's and it. they're both where yeah. you go through tunnels. Yeah. Right? and yeah. the rest of it is totally <laughs> like people lying in the streets and like people giving you like. Uh, so I so I did, I screwed mine up when I did London because uh, I ran it for Centrepoint, who I'm on the board for, mm. and I got this email from uh, the guy who was doing the registrations and stuff, and he's like. Uh, okay, so Graham, like, you need to uh, tell us which uh, start time, uh, which finish time you're most likely to get. Mm. Uh, and I was really busy, and my mentality was, this doesn't really matter. I just need to make sure that he has an answer. Yeah. So I just, from the list, I picked like three hours, th- I knew nothing, right? Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, three hours, 30, that's fine, which turns out it's quite fast. Right? <laughs> so then it got to the day, and I realised that I'd been put in this like really high pen. And the, the only thing to do when that happens, you can't go in the next pen down, you have to just go to the back. Yeah. And okay. I said, well, I don't want to be rude to the people who are going to try and run it in three hours 15 or whatever. So uh, so I just ran from the back. I had to overtake all the rhinos and all the rest of it. <laughs> uh, but I totally, I, I totally get your thing of um, know why you want to do something. My thing was, I just want to get round. Yeah. I really don't care about the time, like whatsoever. Um, I'd had an injury on the way as well, so it was a bit like, well, mm. to get round actually would actually be quite an achievement yeah. given that didn't uh, do a full training for it and stuff um, and so I did it in four hours 40 but like I ended up on my um, tracker at the end I'd run 29 miles because I was like zigzagging tra- trying to get around <laughs> the, uh, all the uh, rhinos and stuff but I high-fived all the kids I Brilliant. you know it was just yep. like just an amazing amazing experience so I so very similarly I'm now doing one in a sort of curiousness to, oh, I wonder how much I could shave off that time uh, okay yeah so, so I'm doing Brighton now. which I know oh, there's great. like quite a few miles of the Brighton Marathon where it, you just kind of run around this gas works and there's like right. no one there. Yeah. So it's like you can just focus on your speed. So yeah. I did the Brighton Half last year, which was a kind of similar thing. Oh, great. But yeah, but so having those goals, I think, is um, really important. And I, I did I did a blog post after the London Marathon and one of the things I said, I sort of, you know, here are the things I've learned. Kind of one of them was be really clear on why you're doing it because I think there's a lot of people particularly around who, you know, who sort of run marathons and do those kind of things, who, when you say, why are you doing this, they don't really know, yeah. or they have two or three different things in mind and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's just really great advice, like, not just for running, but for anything in life. It's like, what's this really about? Like, yeah. what's the sort of, what's the root of this kind of stuff? Um, so, like, let's, um, let's maybe just talk a little bit more about um, uh, the four elements of the model. So mm. the one that um, uh, feels perhaps the most... Uh, sort of cheeky and daring is the be absolutely fabulous thing. Um, so uh, obviously, for for those people who listen to this from outside the UK, maybe they don't know the TV show Absolutely Fabulous. Um, so it might be worth just like mentioning that, there, that you should just go and Google yeah, Absolutely yeah. Fabulous and go worth like, a watch. Yeah. Just watch a three minute clip of that and be like, oh, okay. Uh, but to, just tell me like how you came up with that and why is that important to you? So I think this you know, it links back to your last question actually about, you know, how did you come up with these things? And I think, you know, I've seen, <clears throat> you know, as an HR professional over the years, I've seen the difference it makes in terms of perception of people um, 
you know, depending on what their attitudes and behaviours are. Mm. And, you know, you can see very easily someone who's not enjoying their job, who is, you know, stressed out, who is maybe more negative than they might have been, you know, at other times. And, you know, sometimes it's almost like you can see a black cloud over their head as they're kind of walking around the office. And for whatever reason that might be, um, the impact of that is... um, they don't get a good reputation. Yeah. You know, they're seen as you know not the people that you want to give the opportunity to. You know, not the people that you know are sort of positive to have in team meetings. And I'm talking about you know pr- quite extreme examples, of course. But um, it's all on the spectrum, isn't it? And and when you see the people that are very very positive and um, you know that bring energy and that have got a solution, you know the the voice they have is louder. The opportunities they have are greater, and almost. In a bit of a cynical way, I guess I I used to be um, much, I was going to say much more honest, but that's going to make me sound really bad. So I'll rephrase that to say um, uh, I'm more diplomatic now. Um, So for example, um, one of the things I noticed, I observed at work, was you'd sit in a meeting and someone would say, oh yeah, yeah, we need to do this bit of work. And then they'd go, oh Claire, can can you pick that up? And I'd be really honest and say, well, actually, um, I, I can't, I'm afraid. You know, I'm, I'm really busy down this capacity to fit that in. People don't like you saying that. Yeah. And what I'd observe was other people would just go, yeah, yeah, no problem, I'll do that. And I'd think to myself, how are they going to have time to do that? Um, and actually, in the end, often they wouldn't do it and yeah. no one would even notice. Yeah, yeah. But they'd have got the positive kudos <laughs> from having said in the meeting, yeah, yeah, no problem, I'm your person, I'll pick that up. Um, and, and it was almost like that moment mattered more than whether they actually delivered in the mm. end. So, although I dislike that very much, um, that was a real learning for me that the importance of, you know, the impact you have and the and the impression you give. And and I'm very much about bringing your whole self to work and being honest. And I haven't stopped, you know, giving that honest reflection and saying no. I think you have to say no in order to do the ruthless prioritization prioritization bit and, you know, keep those boundaries that you want. But it was a real learning around, you know, the doors that can be opened by basically being, um, you know, positive and um, energetic and your best self. Yeah. And I think it also helps you to just, you know, a positive mindset. It does just help you feel better. I mean, I went on a, <laughs> I went on a um, three-day snowboard a skiing break. Um, snowboard, I snowboard my partner skis. Um, a few years ago the kids were very little and it's the first time we'd been away without the kids and we were on the way to the airport and I said no matter what happens this weekend I am just going to be happy the whole weekend I'm going to love it I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let anything bother me because it was like it was so precious mm. that, uh, you know, th- that we were getting this opportunity to go away and having said that there proceeded to be a whole series of things that went completely wrong so we got there and the, uh, my snowboard didn't turn up at the airport in Geneva the car didn't have snow chains um, you know, it was loads darker than we thought, so getting up to the mountain was a nightmare. There was just this whole series of things that went wrong. But because I'd made that choice, yeah. it was just like water off duck's back. Uh, it, was am- it was actually amazing. I was quite amazed at the difference it made just by having made the choice to not let it bother me up front. And I just didn't. Everything that happened, I was just like, well, okay, well, we'll just deal with it like this and that'll be okay. And, um, and it really imp- had an impact on me, the difference it made by just deciding to be positive. And I know it sounds easy, and obviously there's some circumstances in which, you know, you can't just do that. But the learning for me was it makes such a difference. And I think that 
that for me is an important component of the Be Absolutely Fabulous, you know, as well as the, you know, managing your energy, getting enough sleep, you know, exercise, healthy diet, all those things that help you to feel vibrant and energized, yeah, yeah. but just actually the importance of, of choosing to be positive. Um, and, you know, the fact that not only does that basically make for a happier, more fun day, it also enables you um, to, you know, uh, you know build, build relationships, you know, have more opportunity, um, you know, than if you're sort of dragged into a negative mindset. Yeah, and I think, so, yeah, so that's the sort of choosing to be happy. I suppose the opposite of that is two things go wrong in your day and you start telling yourself the story of like, oh, I'm having no luck today, this is the worst day ever. And then you're on that confirmation bias thing of looking for all the next things that go wrong that sort of spiral you into that kind of way. And I guess it's the same as why a lot of books that talk about happiness will always talk about gratitude practice Mm. because it's kind of like, almost like retraining your brain to be scanning for the things to be grateful for or the things to be happy about. And then that in itself allows you to find more of those things and to kind of ultimately feel happier along the way. Yeah. I was going to ask you before, I just thought it'd be fun to ask an HR professional about the metrics of happiness. And you were sort of talking about them a little bit already, but like, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of um, what, are the, uh, what are the KPIs for you? Like, if, you know, are, are there things where you go, that means that I've spent the last week being happy or vice versa? Those, those are the things that I've not been happy about and I need to change kind of thing. Yeah, um, so I suppose there's a bit of a, I guess, daily feedback loop, not consciously necessarily, but, you know, when you're sitting on the train on the way home, you know, how are you feeling? Um, And I I suppose I'm quite conscious of that. Um, I do, uh, I actually haven't done it so much recently, but uh, I went through a phase of being really disciplined about um, first thing in the morning, the first thing I thought about were five positive things that I was looking forward to that day mm. and it could be you know small things like oh just getting a flat white on the way into work yeah. you know or certain person you, you're going to enjoy bumping into you know or having going for lunch with in the office or whatever or the fact that I'm going to you know take the kids to their drama class and that's always fun whatever it is go for dinner um, and then at the end of the day just you know we're lying in bed before you go to sleep or what are the five things that have been the most positive things yeah. in the day and I think that sort of practice of firstly you know positively framing the, the day right from the start and then reflecting back you know even if you've had a rubbish day there's always things there's always moments you can pick out that made you smile or just you know were um you know the more positive moments of the day and i think that helps to um you know reframe situations and i so i suppose in that context you know if you're str- <laughs> if you're struggling to think what they are that's a signal that yeah, uh, right, you know course, maybe yeah. uh, it's not you know, you're not in such a sort of positive place. But it's a really good question, actually. I I'm not sure I know what. I I, I like to laugh a lot. Mm. Yeah, if, you if mentioned I, that before. That was what, yeah. actually when I first thought that question. That was one of the things that you'd said before. Is mm. like you know laugh a lot. And you yeah. listed a couple of other things, but it's like uh, as you said that, I thought yeah, that's a really good indicator, isn't yeah. it? Just like uh, how, when was the last time you had. Uh, like an evening where you just laugh loads through yeah. the evening or a day where you just laugh loads through the day. Whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's really important. And, you know, uh, and, you know, seek out, seek out the people that you laugh a lot with. Mm. You know, it makes a really big difference. Yeah, I think one of the other ones for me, and I'm certainly getting that loads by just doing this podcast as well, by the way, but just like the whole thing of like just being around people who you just have this whole thing of like, yeah, and another thing. And yeah, and, you know, <laughs> people who you're on that sort of wavelength yeah. with, I think is just another... 
uh, sort of part of that for me. Do you mm. know what I mean? Whether yeah, that's definitely. people who you work with or whether it's friends or whatever, but people who you just, you, like you just can't wait to like escalate the conversation or sort of take it to that next level yeah. or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I always get satisfaction, this can sound really naff, but is um, actually doing things for other people is, mm. is yeah. really nice and really satisfying. You know, even if it's just as simple as giving up your seat on the train, you know, whatever those things are. But I think, you know, most days there's an opportunity to do something nice for someone else. And, uh, you know, and I try and seek those out because, you know, they make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, and I guess uh, having moved from the corporate sector into the charity sector, was that, I mean, was that a part of it for you as well? Like the sort of giving back on a, on a much more strategic, sort of bigger level than just doing one thing for one person? I mean, this is obviously a huge operation that's trying to help people as well right I mean was that yeah. like part of your thinking yeah it was definitely so I've spent quite a few years thinking about how I'd like to um, give back give back more make more of a positive contribution in the world and I've not I hadn't quite found the way in which I would do that um, so my mum um, worked for years in the Citizens Advice Bureau and in fact managed the Citizens Advice, our local Citizens Advice Bureau for a long time. She also worked for a centre for um, uh, people who are unemployed. Um, she works in a centre that supports uh, people using drugs and alcohol. Uh, and so I've always had that role model um, right, yeah. in my life and I've always been, you know, really impressed and inspired by that and proud of, you know, the fact that my mum does that. So I think I've always sort of wanted to... Um, feel like I'm making a positive contribution but as I say for quite a long time I couldn't quite work out how to do it I applied for a couple of um, uh, non-executive director roles on charity boards but none of them quite worked out you know I've always done a lot of sport and exercise so thinking about doing voluntary stuff at the weekends or the evenings I can uh, it, it was it never quite it was never quite the right fit but when this job came up uh, it was just like everything fell into place mm. um, because actually interestingly before I'd had kids it probably wouldn't have been quite so appealing um, but I had both my children by the time this job came up and I saw it and I, I remember texting my best friend and saying, look at this job I found, it's, a, it's my perfect job. It's, yeah. it's my dream job, yeah, I think right. was what I called yeah. it. Um, and, and I've absolutely not looked back. I mean, people say, you know, what's it like transitioning and from corporate to charity and, you know, there's some things that are the same, there's some things that here are <laughs> very frustrating, but actually, I feel, I don't know this sounds really enough, but I feel like I've come home, yeah. I absolutely love it here. Um, and although I would never say never, because you don't know what's going to happen in life, don't know what happened with our financial situation, so I would never say I would never go back to the corporate world, but at the moment, the way I feel is, I do get so much satisfaction, literally on a daily basis, from knowing that the time I spend at work is helping children and people around the world, you know, who really yeah. need help, um, is, you know, it's, it's really satisfying, and, uh, you know, and I'm really pleased I made that choice. Yeah, and do you, f so you said something there about, um, you, you don't know if you'd have considered it before you had kids. I'm wondering, was part of that motivation about, like, seeing your mum as the role model, and then feeling like, okay, so I want to provide that role model for my kids, like, I want them to think of mummy's working in this kind of environment and doing this kind of stuff? More that the Save the Children particularly as a charity wasn't necessarily something that would have jumped out as me as, as much as it did before I had kids. Right, okay. Um, you know, whereas I was... So I was actually looking at charity working with young people when I was in Rotterdam, but I think I would have had a much more broader perspective. But now that once I'd had kids, a charity working with kids kind of really jumped out yeah. more, you know, more yeah. than any other. But there is the piece, I definitely want to be a positive role model for the children in lots of different ways. And 
one of my, one of the things I didn't understand before I had kids was just that they mimic their parents. Mm. You know, they do what you do, and they see what yeah. you do, and you know, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, that's it's really important to me, and that's one of the things about doing regular exercise and eating a healthy diet and things like that. They pay kids pay attention to that, um, and I I do take that sort of responsibility really seriously. Yeah, although I'm really obsessed with the idea at the moment of like. Kids mimic parents, but also kids rebel against parents. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm having this whole thing of what are the things where like he's going to totally rebel against yeah, yeah, everything I stand for and stuff. It's like, kind of like a terrifying thought, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, which I wish you hadn't shared. <laughs> um, so uh, I suppose uh, it feels like there's such a lot of positivity in the way that you talk about everything, you know, with the work stuff, home life stuff, whatever. Um, so it feels like I should ask you about demotivation. Uh, what are the things that like nag you? What are the things that really bring you down, demotivate you, and, and how do you deal with that? Um, I'm not very good when I haven't got a focus. So there was a period of time in, in one of the jobs I've been in before where it wasn't really very clear. I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing or how I was going to achieve it. And I remember feeling really, you know, quite demotivated and unenergized um, in that role. So I think that's something I, I'm, I'm really good when I've got a really clear goal. It's in, you know, in my gift to, from an empowerment point of view to achieve mm. it. And then kind of I'm, I'm set off <laughs> to, uh, to go and do it. So I think that's, that's one of the things. Um, I do struggle with a bit around the travel, you know, that I don't, you know, I, I find that quite difficult to reconcile. Not that I don't travel loads, but... Um, yeah. I said, uh, I've probably since I've been here eighteen months, and I think I've probably been on six or seven trips. And the reconcile being between the sort of home you wanting to be at home every night, and exactly. then the work you wanted to travel more. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I don't want to be an absent parent. I don't want my children to be used to me being away a lot. Yeah. Um, so I find that quite difficult. Although it's not demotivating per se, it's just kind of. I feel, you know, it's quite, when I'm coming, coming up to a trip, I, get, I feel a bit stressed about it, you yeah. know, about the fact that yeah. I don't, anxious about being away from the kids. Although actually, to be honest, they're never usually that bothered. And I go out <laughs> of my way to uh, make sure I Skype them and they're just yeah. like, oh, mummy, I'm watching the telly. I can't talk to you right now. I'm like, really? I'm in Senegal and I found somewhere to Skype you from. <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe that's my baggage more than it is theirs. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, you, you don't always get things right, but it's, it's about learning from it, isn't it? Um, and trying to do the right things at the right time. So I remember, so my family, you know, very sporty, and um, I was sort of brought up, um, you know, in that sort of household and with that sort of philosophy. And, my, um, and I've got fond memories of my parents being at sports days mm. and, uh, you know, and then sort of running the sports day race. So when I had my first parent sports day, I was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I'm totally up for this. Um, and threw myself into it as I do with everything. Um, is this one where the parents are, have their own running race yeah, as exactly. well? So were you like desperate to win? Exactly. Yeah. I was desperately, <laughs> inappropriately desperate to win at the parents sports day. Yeah. And when I got there, I was totally mortified because I was the only parent who turned up 
in head-to-toe running gear. <laughs> <laughs> I realised when I got there that actually that's not what you do at Parents Sports Day, so I've never done that again. Um, Next year <laughs> you're going to wear, you're going to wear, it'd be lycra, but it'll look like jeans. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea, you see, I could wear leggings. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, it's, you know, there's been lots of things where you don't quite get it right, and obviously that's a light-hearted version, but there, but there are, you know, other, other versions that aren't so light-hearted. But I think, you know, it is about trying to um, sort of learn from it and carry on. And I'm not one of these people who sort of says, oh, well, you know, there's people, you know, there's children sort of starving, you know, in places in the world you shouldn't be miserable about X, Y and Z. Because I think actually, yeah, of course, there's always someone worse off than you. But that doesn't mean that your situation or your issue um, isn't difficult and upsetting and hard to deal with. Um, So I am a real believer in... Yeah, absolutely. You know, people need to, uh, people will be affected by and impacted by things that happen in their life. And yes, you should keep it in perspective. And that's what that other kind of global information is, is really important for doing, keeping it in perspective. Uh, but that's not to say, you know, it's easy to necessarily deal with all the things that we come across. Yeah. Um, and I guess that maybe sort of leads me on to um, just thinking about like how you define success. Yeah, I mean, do you have any, like, measurements around that? Like, So what is success for me? So if I go back to saying, actually, what I really want to achieve is fundamentally the most important thing is sustainable happiness for me and my family. Yeah. And then there's kind of the person I want to be. I want to be a good person. I want to do good things. I want, you know, the sort of people I come into contact with to have a positive experience with me, whether that's because, um, you know, I make them laugh or I, you know... Um, share my umbrella with them when it's raining you know whatever those things are you know I want to I want to be a person I can be proud to be if you like yeah Um, and I want to you know I want to be successful in my career I don't know I don't think I do have measures I kind of I'm I'm very I have very high standards for myself and sometimes Mm. for others which is sometimes wildly unfair but is Mm. a little bit the way I am um I have very high expectations to myself and I'm quite self-critical I think and quite um, like reflective of how I'm doing in relation to that Uh, whether it's about you know playing tennis or um, you know the quality time I'm spending with the kids or, or my wife you know or getting a PB at the kids' sports day. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, do you know, I didn't even win the sack race that day that I was in my running kit. <laughs> I came second, mortified. Um, but I don't, I don't know. That's a really difficult one. I, um, and I guess maybe the other thing I'm thinking just around that is that, like, if you feel like you're really self-critical, does that, does that sort of negate the need for you to... Does it mean you don't need to define success so much along the way because you know you'll always push yourself anyway and be quite, you know, strict with yourself is the wrong word, but do you know what I mean? Like, like you won't let yourself, like, rest if you're not at your best yet at whatever you're doing. Yeah, I think that's possible, although that can be a bad thing, I think, because sometimes you should just, you know, go with it and, yeah. you know, and, and not always try and do it better and do more and, you know, so I think sometimes maybe it's, that's not not the most positive approach. Yeah, and do you feel like, you know, do you feel like there are times where you're just too hard on yourself? Yeah, I think so, but it doesn't usually last long because I'm, um, I just somehow have quite, really kind of, I've always been very self-confident. 
and I describe myself as sort of relentlessly self-confident, but other people could also easily describe it probably as wildly cocky. <laughs> in the, you know, I do have this kind of real self-belief, and I think that, that I'm really fortunate in that. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I always think that's a product of, of parenting. My, you know, my parents, I credit them with giving me that wonderful gift. Um, uh, but I don't know whether it really, yeah, biologically, whether it really is that yeah, or not. I guess it could just be like DNA as well. Right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, things it could be, yeah. and I know that, you know, there are many people who aren't as fortunate and do struggle with self-esteem and self-confidence. Yeah. And I think that's a really um, difficult position to be in. And I think that... Um, then being self-critical is actually, you know, can be sort of, a, you know, a really negative thing. And it's really, really important to focus on the positives and focus on the things that you do well. And actually, one of the things I've noticed, because I, I do quite a lot of mentoring with um, younger people, people earlier in their career, um, is that I particularly notice it in women. They tend to, but many women I've mentored lack self-confidence. And it's, it's such a shame. And I'm not sure where it comes from, but I think, you know, there's a real place for just... Um, focusing on the positives and really, um, you know, reinforcing the things that people are, are really good at. Yeah. Um, it's like that classic 80-20 thing about jobs and job applying for jobs, isn't it? Where, like, yeah. men will look at the, uh, you know, they'll, they'll look at the thing and say, well, I can do 80% of it and the 20% I'll learn it. Whereas women will go, oh, I can't do that 20% so I'm not going to apply. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's that sort of yeah. um, critical difference. Yeah, I mean, do you have any, like, in the mentoring you've been doing, like, any insights as to how other people have defined that? Like, where the, where does that lack of confidence come from? Yeah, I don't know. I think that particularly early on in a career, there's so much pressure put on people yeah. um, these days to have to, you know, d d work environments can be very, very competitive. You know, a lot of performance measures drive comparing against the person next to you. So they almost drive a bit more of a ruthless, you know, environment rather than a collaborative environment and a sportive yeah. environment. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it's And just... then you get out of work and you've got the need, the pressure to lead an Instagram life. Which, <laughs> yeah. You know, or a Facebook yeah. perfect yeah. life, which didn't really happen no. before as well, right? So it's like it's pressure from all angles, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that can be difficult. Um, and I think that's why sort of strong support networks, strong role models, positive environments are really, really important for people. I mean, for everybody, but particularly for people, sort of young people who are really trying to still understand what they want their path to be in life and, you know, the person that they really want to be. Yeah. I'm hoping this Brexit thing is going to make people realise that everyone's blagging, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like that's going to be what we're going to look back on in like a year's time and go, they were all just blagging it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, like there's a thing yesterday about we're going to, um, the way to export British food and drink is we'll get everyone to eat more British jam and British tea. Uh, what from the imported sugar and the imported <laughs> so they just sort of make it up as they go along don't they? Um, I've got to ask you about productivity um, mm. before we finish so uh, and in particular let's start with just in relation to doing a four day week mm. um, how do, do you feel like you need to think about productivity in a different way to people who do a five day week and uh, maybe when you made that adjustment from yourself doing a five day week to a four day week how did your view of, of productivity change um, so I think I've always been quite a focused, productive person. I'm not usually, I'm not really one to um, standing around, just standing around wasting time. I'm, I'm always sort of 
talking about, yeah, it's got to be really efficient and, you yeah. know, if we can do things in a more efficient way, then let's do it. So I think that's just kind of my natural propensity, really, especially if I'm motivated about, motivated about something, yeah. is just to kind of really get on with it. Do you think um, like you ever procrastinate? I do sometimes, yeah, of course, everyone does sometimes. Yeah, but ironically, I think perhaps the more time I've got, the more I procrastinate. Yeah. Because actually, if I've got a tight deadline, I'm really, really productive. Yeah. If I've got a couple of things to do and a whole day to do it, then I'll probably procrastinate until I've got two hours left <laughs> and, yeah. then to, and then nail the things at the last minute. Um, I think I have had to, but I have thought about my productivity because actually what I've noticed about working part-time is it's not just that you've got less time to do stuff, it's that whilst you're not working and other people are, stuff backs up. So you've got less time to do stuff and more, t- more things to do in that time because yeah. you've got to catch up on yeah. the things that you've missed. Um, and that's, but you know, I try and block my sort of the first bit of my Monday morning to just kind of catch up on um, what well, used to be the, you know, on the, on the sort of the time that I've not been working. Um, so I do think about productivity and I do try and make sure I really nail things and I try and be conscious of the environments in which I am productive and the environments in which I'm not. Um, so when I'm working for home, from home, exa- for example, I, you know, try and not end up kind of sitting on the couch and (laughs) try and sit at a desk, you know, very clear start time, very clear finish time, um, you know, and and really focus on stuff. But I think, do I think it makes much, much difference being part-time or full-time? I don't know. A lot of people who make the change to part-time say that they're more productive now because they have to be. Mm. Um, So maybe that's true of me to a degree, but I don't think I've, I don't think it's a significant shift. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there are uh, sort of particular things that you do that enable you to be productive? Like, have you got like your little kind of uh, secret toolbox of like productive habits or productive mindset kind of stuff? Um, yeah. So if I'm being distracted, I put some music on that usually helps me focus. Um, I try and block my time in certain ways so that I have chunks of time where I can get on with stuff, and I'll maybe shut my email so that I'm not distracted by emails coming in. Yeah. I maybe go offline so I'm not distracted by messenger stuff. Um, what's the time chunking thing like what do you do around that so just block time in my diary that is free from meetings but in big you know it's you don't want to end up having a half an hour free here an hour free here a half an hour later so just say right this two or three hour block for example i'm going to get on with you know working on this stuff and i'm not going to be disturbed during that time so make sure the gaps are something meaty enough that you can do actually do something yeah yeah Yeah. exactly otherwise the half an hour gaps all taken up by making a cup of tea yeah (laughs) yeah before you know it it's like all the next meetings about to start and then there's one phone call and something else then it's like oh exactly and actually being at home helps with that because when I'm in the office constantly people will grab me and say oh I just wanted to speak to you about this yeah. and it's just, you know it's important stuff but it means I'm not you know getting on with other things so there's something around um, trying to minimize distractions um, you know through email and messenger and phones something around having good chunks of time and being clear what you're trying to focus on you know in that time sometimes yeah. I find myself um, you know, I'll start something and then I'll, and then something else will pop into my head and I think, oh God, that's urgent, so I'll start that and I'll start and I'll start five things and finish none of them. Mm-hmm. So I try and be really focused. All right, well, what is it I'm going to do now? You know, so the bit around just making sure you really pick up the most urgent things. Um, and I find, you know, getting up and taking a break, walking around the block, getting some fresh air, whatever it is. I often walk down and grab a coffee from, you know, the place just down the road. Um, and uh, people say to me, well, why don't you just make a coffee here? But actually, it's part, for me, part of it is getting up, getting outside, walking, yeah. exactly, coming back, uh, and then being able to refocus. Yeah, I was talking to someone recently about how um, it's the one thing I'm really jealous of smokers for. It's that, like, <laughs> sort of, you know, it's, it's a, 
it's got to be seven minutes, right? Yeah. Like it's got yeah. to take that time and you can't sort of waste it. No. Um, so it's like it sort of forces you to sort of take that pause slightly longer than you would otherwise. So yeah, it's exactly. The same kind of, exactly. Same kind of ritual of like getting out and about and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned there like um, turning off um, email, turning off other things that are going to distract you. Um, I guess the opposite of that is trying to turn off work email when you're at home, when you're in like home mode and and sort of life mode as opposed to work mode kind yeah. of thing. Um, so is switching off in that way like important to you or do you feel like you're so focused anyway on those other bits of your life that you're less likely to be sort of tempted by that at the same time? Um, so I find that usually when I'm not at work I'm not thinking about work so I've actually had a couple of occasions where um, I've had a day when I'm not working and I'm going to be with the kids but I know that something is happening at work that's really important and so I say to the person look I know that after that meeting you might want to talk to me about that so phone me it's fine you know that's okay and then I get to the end of the day and I realized that I completely forgot about that right. and that I didn't even have my work phone on so you just let, you know, the phone somewhere just, exactly right, just okay. what just yeah. because once I'm not at work and I'm doing other things I'm just so completely switched off mm. um that actually I'm you know I've just totally forgotten it um so there are loads of people listening to this now who are really jealous of that so so how do you um, like how does that happen is that something that you've had to consciously work on is it just the way you are like I think it's just I I think I've always been relatively good at switching off um, but I've definitely got better at it since I've had kids and I think there's a little bit about I don't know if you have this experience but I find that in the past it used to be that when I went on a um, skiing holiday or an activity holiday you switch off immediately that you get there because you're put into such a different environment such a different context you're concentrating on other things you're distracted whereas if you go on a kind of beach holiday you could end up laying on the beach three days into your holiday still thinking about work and I think actually having um going home and immediately being with the kids you're sort of immersed in something completely different which you've got to be present you know you've got to be present and I basically fill all of my free time with either playing with the kids or exercising Mm. pretty much both of which are things that you need to focus on and be present in and concentrate on and I think that makes it much easier to switch off if I was getting home and and picking up a book and reading it maybe I'd find it harder to switch off but I think then you know there's people who use little rituals on the train home or whatever to kind of transition themselves almost from work mindset to out of work mindset Um, so I think it's partly about the way in which you spend your time and partly about that that mindset but I I certainly don't have a mindset of oh I'll just check my emails at lunchtime you know I'll just check in you know of in this job the way I've dealt with that actually because um as I've said, in this job, sometimes I do need to be contactable. So to avoid me feeling like I have to keep checking my work emails, what I've done is I've spoken to a couple of people in the team here in the centre and I've said, look, if you need, to, if it's urgent, if you really need me, here's my personal number. Right. Because then I know yeah. they can get me without me looking at my work emails. So it means I don't feel like I have to constantly check. So for me, that's really important is not being in the habit of just checking in just to see how it's going, but actually yeah, just, completely. you know, turn my computer on the next day when I get to work. But I know that if, you know, something really serious happens, that they'll, they know how to get me. Yeah, I have a similar thing where I don't have any email notifications on my phone. Mm. Uh, I don't have Slack, which is what we do we use for internal email uh, kind of stuff um, at Think Productive. I don't have that on my phone mm. either. I did for a while and it was like, I was, fine. I was finding it was just, because we'd just installed it and whatever. But I was, and I hadn't really worked out what my rules were with it. And I yeah. had it on my phone and it was just kind of 
beeping and I really kind of felt like I was just getting sort of harassed by this thing I was like oh no I can change the rules I can yeah. turn it off so I've turned that off as well um, but then um, a couple of people in the team know that they can always whatsapp me and that's the sort of same yeah, that's how idea I guess yeah. of like yeah. that's my personal phone because I only have one but like that's the equivalent of the personal phone in yeah. that sort of circumstance but yeah I think and you know and obviously part of your thing is to sort of talk about boundaries and and be crystal clear on those boundaries and like that's another you know it's a big part of the boundaries isn't it it's like how like what are your boundaries with tech and what are your boundaries with colleagues around the use of that stuff and yeah exactly, everything exactly. Else. there's a couple of things just to finish with um that i wanted to talk about so are there any things that like scare you like what's your what's your biggest fear well i suppose if I, you know if i think about kind of real life um then it's you know the happiness and safety of my family mm. uh you know and my friends um but if I think about it on a less kind of grand scale, um, then I think, you know, I do have this really high need to achieve. So mm. I suppose a fear for me would be feeling like I, you know, wasn't, wasn't achieving what I wanted to, wasn't being successful, which brings you back to the question of what are your measures of success? Mm. Um, but I do definitely have this need to kind of, and I suppose it's a human nature, isn't it, to feel valuable, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think for me that manifests itself in success, need to achieve, you know, and, and having a positive impact on people. So I suppose my fear would be that, you know, I, I, and, uh, I would be in a situation where I felt like I wasn't um, being successful, wasn't achieving anything, was, you know, having a negative impact on people around me rather than a positive impact. Yeah, and the final question which I was going to ask you, and I think I know the answer, is like, do you feel happy right now? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Talking about one of my favourite subjects with yeah. a cup of tea and a chocolate biscuit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can't get better. And in, and in life right now, not, obviously in this moment, uh, obviously you do, but like just, just, just in life in general with like yeah. where you're at. No, I do, I do. Yeah. It's been actually a good, difficult few months because I've been um, acting up. I love that expression. It makes me feel like I've be, I'm being naughty, sitting at the back <laughs> of the bus being naughty. Um, but, you know, as on an interim basis, being the chief people officer, yeah. you know, it's, an, it's been an enormous responsibility and it's been alongside my kind of day job. So the volume of work has been massive. The pressure and stress has been massive. So that has felt quite relentless. Um, but the nice thing about it is obviously it's an opportunity for me and I've learned so much and, you know, I've sort of grown as a professional, developed my relationships, but I've also known that, you know, there is going to be somebody coming in. Yeah. And so it's a kind of yeah. time defined um, And it was with the light period. of that tunnel, I guess. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so despite the fact that it's been quite challenging, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm... Um, yeah, my, uh, my children are doing great. You know, uh, I've sort of... I've just been away actually for a weekend with with some tennis friends, which has been really cool. fun. We laughed a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got some goals in terms of my running training. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel very fortunate, and I do, you know, and fortunate I think is is the right word. I am very conscious that actually we are in a very fortunate position, you know, in terms of our family and our lives. And I do, you know, I do appreciate that, and I do value that. Yeah. Um, I know lots of really amazing people, um, many of whom I get to see very regularly. Uh, which is which is really great and you know makes a, a really positive difference to my life um, you know and I, and I really value that I think over the years I've become more conscious about just kind of generally being nice and happy to everyone mm. and actually that that's really important 
and that actually if I like someone, I'll make a real effort with them and actually I like almost everybody I ever meet. <laughs> um, and that, and I, didn't, I actually didn't used to be like that. I don't think I used to be quite as friendly. <laughs> um, and I think over the years, I've just kind of realised actually, you know, just having a nice chat with somebody, I mean, you know, just someone you're standing next to in the park while the kids are on the swings or whatever, actually it's just a kind of a happy, nice moment. And actually those things all add up yeah, to a sort absolutely. of positive day, yeah, which and is the nice. small things are the big things. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and I've just really loved this conversation because it's kind of felt like uh, a whole sort of relentless slab of positivity. But <laughs> uh, that can be really cheesy and annoying just in its own right. But like that sort of positivity is coming from the real sort of thoughtfulness of having just having explored these topics in, in, in the way that I know you have. So I just want to say thank you for being on Beyond Busy, first of all. How can people find out more about you and maybe just uh, give a plug for the book? And also, perhaps, if you want to, just a plug for something that, say, the children's doing as well, because obviously that's a, a, a big part of why we're here as well right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, the, so the book's Work Life Symbiosis, The Model for Happiness and Balance. Um, you can find it in a, a number of stores, um, Waterstones. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. There's also a website called Work Life Symbiosis uh, where you can find out more about me uh, as the author and, uh, and about the book and the philosophy. Uh, I've done various sort of interviews and uh, magazine articles and stuff like that, so you'll be able to find stuff easily if you're interested. So please do uh, have so a look. Google me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although there is actually a, a much more famous Claire Fox than me who works for the Institute of Ideas. So you yeah. have to Google me. Who's a li- libertarian thinker or something. Mm, yeah, exactly. I, I, I exactly. Her as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to Google me, but also put work life balance or work life yeah. symbiosis in. <laughs> Um, and yeah, Save the Children, I mean, it's, it's just such a fantastic organisation and it's interesting coming from a big corporate where, you know, they kind of, uh, the, the mission is sort of around wanting to sort of really impact the world. But actually what I realised when we come here is to achieve what we need to achieve, we actually literally do need to change the world. We need to change governments, we need to change, mm. you know, policies and approaches and philosophies and cultures, you know, and that really is something significantly different. Um, and you know the work that Save the Children do is is amazing. Um, so yeah, keep a, keep an eye out for uh, for Save the Children, and it's got a special place in my heart. Yeah, and uh, you know, hopefully it does for a lot of other people as well. And changing all those things feels like very important work to do in the world right yeah, absolutely. now. So yeah, so it's a real privilege to be here and to be um, sharing that with you and talking to you about it. So Claire, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again to Claire for being on Beyond Busy. Just really interesting guest. And um, the book is Work-Life Symbiosis. You'll find that on Amazon and everywhere else and really worth checking out. Uh, Now, if you heard the last episode that I did with Gerald Ratner, then you will probably already know that I'm on sabbatical. I'm away from work. I am uh, recording this in the past at the very start of January. And I've basically recorded a whole bunch of Beyond Busy episodes uh, while I was still working and they will all be going out during the time that I'm on sabbatical. So I'm not on email if you want to find out what I'm up to and and say hi, Uh, but you can get me on Twitter. So just at Graham Alcott on Twitter is the best way to uh, get hold of me. And in the meantime, work continues for Think Productive for my company. So we're still on our mission to transform workplaces, make people more productive and help people to have a better work-life balance and have less stress in the way that they work. So if that's at all of interest to you uh, and if you've got a team of people that you want to 
uh, get involved and uh, talk to Think Productive. It's just thinkproductive.com. In the UK, it's thinkproductive.co.uk and various others around the world. Uh, you'll find more about me at grahamalcott.com. And as I say, come and say hi on Twitter. So it's at Graham Alcott. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Because uh, as I say, I'm recording this uh, uh, right at the start of January. So I don't know what I'm doing right now. But uh, you can find out if you just drop me a, a line on Twitter. And until next time, which will be in two weeks' time, uh, thank you for listening to Beyond Busy. And see you next time. Bye for now.